0: Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Amen. Brothers and sisters, please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be looking at verses 32 through 40. As verses 32 through the end of the chapter. And if you would, please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms. "...worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured." not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Thus far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer asking for his blessing on the preaching of the word. Father, how we do pray that you would Uh, Lord, bless now the preaching of your word. We do pray that you would grant us the grace to have faith uh, like all of these examples which are given, that we would remain true to you, remain true to you, to be faithful unto death that we might receive the crown of life. Lord, we do ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we looked at Moses and we saw that uh, by faith, one of the characteristics of faith is that it conquers all opposition. So by faith, there is a conquering of opposition. And we saw many examples of this. Often, however, the, the way in which faith actually conquers, the way in which it's, it's seen to conquer is actually by death. That it is in the nature of faith to endure to the end and to endure opposition to the point of death and its conquering is seen in the fact that it's willing to die before it gives up the faith that it clings to. And so we saw last week, or two weeks ago, that there, there, is, there are deliverances where those who oppose true Christians, to true believers in God, the faithful, that they are overcome. They're unable to succeed in conquering those whom they are against. And yet there are other situations where it very much appears that they do conquer. It very much appears that this, as those who are faithful, actually die. Pharaoh was unable to kill Moses. But there are many faithful Christians who do in fact die, who will say, like the the three friends of Daniel, we have no need to answer you with regard to these things, O Nebuchadnezzar. Our God is able to deliver us, but if he does not, we will not bow down to your idols. We will not bow down to them. And they were willing to die. Now they were delivered, but many, many are not delivered. Many are not delivered. And Faith sometimes conquers in not being delivered and yet remaining true even to death. Now, the situation today, this is often very far from our minds. You think of the, the wealth that is accrued in the West. You think of the increase of lifespans over the course of recent generations. The, the fact that we do live in general peace relative to other times in history. All these have contributed to the natural expectation that when we are born, we, we think you know, it's going to be normal for me to be able to live a long life, to be at peace, and to die in old age. This has not been the case for many other points all throughout history. There have been many times when diseases have been rampant. Children would often die young. Life expectancy was low. Persecution very often included martyrdom with the threat of death. And so there would have been, in other times of history, a a different kind of expectation about what you would face during your life. And so it can be tempting for us to think, and to, or to expect that we will be able to go to our graves from the beginning to the end in peace. And yet, this is not what the Scriptures teach. We are to expect persecution. It's not even what our Reformed forefathers uh, lived in, in, in terms of their own situations in centuries past. Uh, many of them died. Many of them died for the faith that the, that the Reformed church might be established in the way that it is today. This is more normal than what we face today, and yet... Though I say that, I have said many times from the pulpit and will continue to say, it is not the case that there is no persecution today. It is not the case that there is no persecution. And we ought to expect it to get worse, but we must also be ready to endure the persecution that we face today. The reason why there are so many churches that are compromising with regard to the truth is because they are unable to withstand the persecution. That's the reason why the, the church would not be so weak now if it were not for persecution from the outside. Uh, there is actually persecution from the outside, and there are, there are many temptations for the church to compromise its beliefs for the sake of not facing some kind of opposition or blowback. And the, the small amount of opposition that we face relative to other times when you could be thrown in prison or, or killed has yet still been enough to weaken the church in this country. There has been an expectation and part of the problem is there is an expectation we, or we, where we think in our minds that I will be able to go to my grave in absolute peace without any, without any sort of opposition. The scriptures actually teach though that uh, those who desire to live a godly life, they will be persecuted. This persecution has never gone away and not only is it the case that it's here now, it's also the case that unless something changes, it will almost certainly get worse. It will almost certainly get worse in this country. The way that our culture is going, we must be ready to suffer. You must be ready to suffer. It is too late to prepare yourself for suffering when suffering is upon you. You must, in times of peace, understand it is not the case that we are not in a war. You may, have been, you may be serving in a way where you're removed from the front lines for a little bit, but you may be called to the front lines at any point, And you must be preparing for the need to serve in that way. You must be ready now before things get, get, uh, before things get worse. And what are you to do when you face suffering? The answer is believe in God, trust in Him, have faith. Because faith, as the author speaks of here, faith holds fast and endures. It's one of the characteristics of faith. Faith holds fast and it endures. Now, this is the last passage of Hebrews 11. And what we see here is that as the author has gone through, as we've noticed, uh, many different people in Old Testament history focusing predominantly and to this point exclusively on people from the Pentateuch. We, we just looked at Moses a couple weeks ago. Now the author is going to go much more quickly through the rest of redemptive history and just mention very briefly uh, a number of different people, a number of different things that happened where, where The the people of God suffered greatly and yet held on. The way this passage is broken up, there are clearly two different sections. There are those who conquered through faith such that they were delivered and they were not actually put to death. And then the author transitions to speak about those whose conquering was seen in their dying. And so the author is making a point that both of them are expressions of faith. And you should expect both. You can pray for deliverance. Many of these prayed for deliverance and they were granted it. Others of them did not. Our attitude is, as I said, to be like the three friends of Daniel. We will not bow down to your idols. We will never bow down to the idols. If God delivers us, we believe he can and we have faith in him. If he does not, we will remain faithful unto death. That, brothers and sisters, is what you are called to. It is what you are called to. These... All of these, the author says, even, even further to encourage you. There were many who had far less than you, and yet they were willing to remain faithful. They did not receive the promises. The world was not worthy of them, but even them, God did not grant them the promises. He's granted them to you that you may be able to endure when you face persecution. This is what you are called to. Remember, everything in Hebrews chapter 11, everything, is meant to bolster the exhortations given in chapter 10. Everything is meant to say, all of these examples are to strengthen you so that when you face opposition, you, you, you have the theological foundation, the foundation of faith to be able to withstand what comes your way. Now, we'll look at this passage under three headings. There are first in verses 32 through 34, the faith of specific people that, that the author mentions. We have Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And the way in which these are described is roughly, as I said, the first section where there are people who were delivered by their faith, so those who were not overcome. And so the the message with regard to faith is the same as what it was with Moses. Moses conquered. He was able to conquer Pharaoh, so to speak, uh, by his faith. And then in verses 35 through 38, this is where we get the transition, where there is the faith of the others who were not delivered the others who showed their faith in their dying. And then we'll look at verses 39 and 40 where the author uh, brings home for us the summary and the final exhortation for us, the way in which this relates to your own faith. And so we'll look at this passage again under those three headings. Look with me first then at verses 32 through 34 where we see a number of people, as I mentioned, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. And the point that the author is making in the introduction in verse 32 is this. He's saying, look, I've, I've spent a, a decent amount of time speaking to you about the faith of Abel and Enoch and Noah. I spent some time with the faith of Abraham and Moses. And he's saying, you know, I've just begun. If, if I wanted to, there are so many other examples of faith and all of them would be instructive for you. All of them would teach you what it means to be faithful to God. He says, I could go on and speak about all these people in great detail, but I can only just mention them in passing. All of the Old Testament, therefore, the point is that all of the Old Testament teaches you what it means to be faithful. If you want to know like what's, the, what's some of the uses of the Old Testament, this would be one of them. One of them is all these great examples of faith, examples of faith, as the author will make the point later, of people who were faithful even though they had less privileges than you, are meant to encourage you, you yourself, to remain faithful to God. And so notice the way that these are described they conquer kings, they work righteousness, obtain promises, close the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, fled the mouth of the sword, were made strong in weakness, became strong in battle, turned the camps of foreigners to flight. All of these are ways in which these particular men were able to overcome by faith. And, and again, the message is essentially the same as what the author was describing with Moses. A Pharaoh could not conquer Moses because God was on his side. And so we have examples of this. The conquered kings, you have uh, Gideon, uh, Gideon uh, conquering the, 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 the Midianites. You have Barak, the king of Canaan, uh, Samson with the Philistines, Jephthah with the Ammonites, David with the Philistines, uh, Samuel, all of these, all of these conquered kings working righteousness, particularly probably related to the, the idea of the administration of justice. All of them did this well. All of them, the, these who were, who were listed, obtained promises. Again, every one of these people obtained promises. You think particularly of David who received the promise that there would be a, a, a seed from, uh, from him who would rule over, uh, who would have an everlasting kingdom and who would build the house of God. Stop the mouths of lions. You think of Samson and David who were able to overcome uh, lions in their, own, in their own days to show the, the power of God being with them. Daniel, who's, who was thrown into the lions then and yet the mouths of the lions were stopped against him because he was faithful to God, quenched the power of fire Uh, this um, uh, This is referring clearly to Daniel's three friends, as we mentioned before, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Fled the mouth of the sword. You think of David who was persecuted by Saul, Elijah and Elisha who always had various kings attacking and pursuing them. All of these, all of these things were done by these people. And the point again of all this is to say that God very often does and certainly can deliver all of his faithful people from any situation that they find themselves in. Any situation. I've, I've mentioned a, a few times now an, an illustration of a 19th, century, uh, a 19th century missionary who was surrounded at one point. He was, in a, he was on an island uh, of, of cannibals. He, was, he had his little makeshift home that was surrounded by cannibals. And in his autobiography, he prayed and said, Lord, I am immortal until you declare otherwise. I am immortal until my God declares otherwise. And this is exactly the attitude that we are to have. God can deliver his people from any and every single situation. He has done it enough in the past for us to know that this is certainly the case. And yet, as we see with the transition in verse 35, this is not in fact always the case. Now, the first the first example with verse 35 is an example of something similar. Women received their dead raised to life again. So this is is another example of a deliverance. This is referring to uh, the the woman from Zarephath uh, Zarephath and the Shunammite in the days of Elijah and Elisha. And this really is where the point of transition is. So with verse 35, there is the transition. So uh, verse 35 is referring to different people than what was listed before. But it's also the last example of those uh, who overcame by their faith. Notice the shift. All these other ones overcame in all these various ways, but others were tortured. They were tortured, not accepting any deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. The implication there is that they did not accept this all the way to the point of death. They they never gave in, and they ended up dying for what they believed because they believed in the resurrection from the dead. Now, we're going to go through uh, all of these other examples of what the author is describing in verses uh, 35 through 38 and try to identify what's going on. The first one is very interesting. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. What is this referring to? Uh, It's almost certainly actually referring to a family that's mentioned in uh, the book of 2nd Maccabees that was put to death. And in their being put to death, the hope of the resurrection is specifically mentioned as a grounds for uh, the whole family to remain faithful. So they would all encourage one another uh, not to give in, and they would all die. They would all give in a chance to rec- recant their faith, and they were all put to death. And, uh, and again, in, in all of the, the cases, there is the, resur- the resurrection is a clear focus. Now, this, would have, this family died under the, the reign of Antiochus Epiphanes in the times between the Testaments, so the times between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this raises an interesting question. Is it a problem that the author uses an incident that occurs outside of the Old Testament to defend the idea that there have always been faithful people who were willing even to die for the sake of the faith? Uh, Or to say the question another way, are the Catholics right when they say that Maccabees should be included in the canon? Is Maccabees part of the canon? Uh, The answer is that no, there is there is no problem, and this does not prove that Maccabees should be listed as part of the canon. Um, It's important to recognize what the Book of Maccabees is and what uh, what other books are. The Book of Maccabees, in particular, is a record of a certain part of the history that happens between the Testaments, and the only thing that's really being affirmed here is that in this instance there is an accurate recording of the history of events as they happened during this time. So Paul does something very similar in Acts chapter 17. He'll use Greek pagan sources to affirm the truth of certain things. And he says, look, even your writers understand this thing to be true. Now clearly he's not saying, just because he's using a pagan source, that the pagan source is in fact uh, scripture. He's just saying they got this particular thing right. And, uh, and with, with the book of Maccabees, there's even more of a reason for the author to use this, and that's because the events recorded in Maccabees were actually prophesied in the book of Daniel. So there was already a, there was an expectation that there would be some kind of great suffering and that there would be people who would be put to death who were faithful. Daniel had already prophesied that. So that the author records the fulfillment of something that was already prophesied in the Scripture is in, in no way to be wondered at or thought to be strange. The other thing that we need to keep in mind Is that when we say that books like the Maccabees are not scripture, we do not mean that every single thing is wrong in them. We do not mean that they got everything wrong. We would affirm, actually, that there are some things, maybe even many things, that they got right. What we are saying when we speak about books that are outside the canon is that they cannot be used for the formation and establishment of Christian doctrine because they are outside of the canon. They they are not normative for Christian doctrine. They could get lots of things right. Many commentaries get lots of things right about the interpretation of scripture, but they themselves are not canon. The commentaries recognize it's scripture that is the foundation for the establishment of all doctrine, not a commentary. And so, this then leads to the question, how then would we know what the Old Testament canon is? So there are different books that are included in the Greek translation of the Old Testament and the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew Bible had a threefold division the the Torah, the prophets, and the writings. So the Torah would be Moses, so Moses, the prophets, and the writings. And the canon of the Hebrew Bible is the exact same as our Old Testament. So the Jews today still use the same Old Testament. What they would call the Hebrew Bible is the same as our Old Testament with a different ordering of the books. So so the Jews in Christ, they understood all the other books to be non-canonical. So Maccabees being a Jewish writing was understood to be non-canonical. And there was then a shorthand for this threefold division, which would have been either Moses and the prophets or Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And Christ himself actually affirmed this same threefold division when he referred to the Old Testament scriptures because he refers to them in Luke chapter 24, verse 44 as Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So, so when, when, when Christ speaks about the summary of what the canon is, he gives the standard definition of the Hebrew canon, which would not have included the book of Maccabees. And so... And so with that aside, uh, there, are, there is at least one example here of a story from the book of Maccabees where, the, where an entire family was tortured, they, they were killed, and yet they did not give in for the sake of obtaining a better resurrection. Now what about the rest of these? Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonments. You think of uh, Zechariah who was stoned, Isaiah who was sawn in two, as we see in verse, in, as we see in verse 37. That according to tradition, Isaiah was sawn in two. Uh, Daniel prophesied that many would die by the sword. Uh, Uriah, the prophet, a contemporary of Jeremiah, also died in this way. The, the, the author then goes on to speak of those who are wandering in sheepskins and goatskins, the, the idea being that they were incredibly poor, wandering about without basic sustenance. This refers to Elijah and Elisha, who, who lived in this way, and even and even then in the New Testament times, John the Baptist, whose clothing was distinctive in this way, uh, all of them were at want, they were persecuted, they were mistreated. Uh, you think of, of Jeremiah, who was opposed, thrown into a well, left for dead. Uh, same with Amos in terms of being opposed. Uh, Christ uh, could say of the opposition that was given to the prophets, To the Pharisees in Matthew 23, you could say, which of the prophets did your fathers not kill? The opposition to the godly was seen all throughout the Old Testament and even by the Israelites themselves. Many of them put to death their own prophets. Uh, They were wandering in wilderness on mountains and caves and in the holes of the earth. There were historians of the first century uh, B.C. who actually recorded that this was actually how the Jews suffered persecution under Pompey. In the first century BC, and this is what they would do: they would hide in the mountains, they would hide in the caves and the holes of the earth. Uh, this is similar to uh, David as well, who uh, fled from Saul and wandered about in the mountains and in the caves. And in all these ways, the point—the point of all these descriptions—is to say that it is the normal, the normal case throughout redemptive history for the people of God to suffer. It's not strange. It's not strange. It's not something that is, is just, a, a, it's something that would be unexpected. It's something that regularly happened. The people of God regularly suffered. You can look throughout all of redemptive history, and this is what you see. Now, we having a little bit more perspective beyond the authors of the Hebrews can say, you, not only redemptive history in terms of the, 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 of the Bible, you can look through all of church history, and you see the exact same thing. This is not a strange thing that happens. It's not a strange thing. So you could even go on and and make the list even longer than what the author of the Hebrews put here. You could think of Polycarp and Ignatius in the second century. Both of them were put to death. Polycarp was burned by fire. Ignatius faced the lions. Justin Martyr takes his name for his martyrdom. He wrote to the emperor to try to stop persecution in, in his day and was eventually put to death. Cyprian was put to death in martyrdom. Augustine died in a city with barbarians surrounding it. He himself wrote the city of God earlier, about 20 years earlier, in order to address the persecutions, the widespread deaths and martyrdoms that the people of God were facing in his own day. If you fast forward to the time of the Reformation, Luther was persecuted, went into hiding, almost put to death. There was a decree that went out that anyone who found him could put him to death without any fear of of any reprisals, even even with a reward. William Tyndale, who is uh, known for translating the Bible into English, Uh, for the first time from from Greek, was executed. Uh, Many in the English Reformation, others were were put to death and burned under the reign of Bloody Mary. And you could go on and on. You can go on and on. It has always been a normal thing for the people of God to be persecuted. It's always been a normal thing. And it is of these that the author testifies. When you see these people suffer in this way, what are you to conclude? You are to conclude the world was not worthy of them. That's what the author says. The world was not worthy of them. Now, why were they put to death? Why were, why were all these God-fearing people, men and women, put to death? It was because the world believed that these people did not have a right to live. They believed things that were so bad, so evil, that they, that they should be put to death. They were publicly shamed and humiliated. That was a testimony of the world. God gives a different testimony. He says, you believe these people are not worthy of life, but God says you are not worthy of them. You are not worthy of them. And brothers and sisters, it is the ability to see and to appreciate the commendation of this God as he gives this declaration for all those who are faithful to him. This is what is required for faith. And this is the reason why the faithful are able to endure. There, there may be some pressure for you to say, you know, if I give in, it will be easier for me. There will be some relenting. But brothers and sisters, there will be no relenting from God. And if you remain faithful, they may be able to do some things to you. But God will give you the commendation on the last day. And his commendation is this. They put you to death. They, they, they subject you to all these shameful things. And yet, they are not worthy of you. And on the last day, I will make it right. And it will be evident to all as you are raised from the dead and shine like the sun in all of its brilliance that you are the true son of God. And they will be cast into the outer darkness because they are not worthy of you. Remember, this is even the way it works with the Lord Jesus Christ. The thing which appears to be so shameful, he is subjected to a death on the cross and they are mocking him. They're mocking him and yet as the scriptures teach, that death was his coronation. That, that when, when those soldiers stick that crown of thorns on his head and press it into his head, that was actually God himself crowning his son, the king of the universe. And that inscription over the cross that said, this is the king of the Jews, that was meant to mock him, was in fact God showing that he was subjecting every power, every principality, every demonic rule, everything was being subjected to Him as He was being lifted up on that cross to rule over the entire universe. Things are not as they seem for the suffering. And the world showed itself to be, in this sense, those those who who, who maintained their opposition to Christ all the way to the end, they were unworthy of Him. They were unworthy of Him. And yet, God declared His Son to be the true Son of God who would reign in power to the end of time by raising Him from the dead. And this, brothers and sisters, is the commendation. This is the commendation that you will receive. Now, notice then even further, even further in verses 39 and 40. All these examples, all these examples from the Old Testament and even the times between the Testaments, all, all the examples of all the faithful people all the way up to the coming of Christ, none of them received the promises. None of them received any of the promises. Now, why is this the case? Or how could you say this is the case? The answer is, as we've seen all the way throughout Hebrews 11, all the promises are found in Christ. Abraham looked for a city, but he never obtained the city. He died in faith not having received it. And the author could say halfway through the chapter, all these died in faith, not having received the promises. Now he's gone all the way through now, all, all the way up to the point of Christ. And he can say the same thing. None of these received the promises because all the promises are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. How was it that our brothers and sisters from other times uh, in the history of the church after the coming of Christ, how was it that they were able to remain faithful to Christ? They were holding to the promises that they had. They, they could read things like Hebrews 11. They could say, look. My my brothers and sisters who lived before Christ, they didn't even have the things that I have. I have access to God. I have access to God the way that's made through the death of my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I wouldn't trade that for anything. I wouldn't trade that for anything. You you think of what what Polycarp said when he was being put to death. He says, he's told, you know, Polycarp, just just recant. Just, Just give it up and you can go. And he says, for 86 years I've served him. And he's done me no wrong. He's done me no wrong. How could I deny my Lord who bought me? He, he knew what it was, what it meant to have communion with Christ. He knew the goodness of Christ and therefore he was able to maintain his faith all the way to the end. Notice, all of these others, God withheld giving them the promises that they may not be perfected without you. They, they were... They, they, they had to wait that you might obtain the things that you actually have. This is the reason, brothers and sisters, why you must endure. Faith, faith endures and it holds fast. That's what faith does. Faith endures and it holds fast. Remember, again, everything in this chapter, everything, is meant, this long description of faith and all these examples of faith, all of it is meant to be a part of the exhortation to you for you to endure, for you to endure. As they endured, so you too are to endure. They were not perfected without you. There is something better laid up for you that, that they themselves have not even received. Now, brothers and sisters, the exhortation then is simply to repeat what the Lord Jesus Christ has said To his people, brothers and sisters, pick up your cross and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember, this is what the Lord Jesus Christ has commanded. It's It's not the case that every single person is going to be put to death. It's clearly not the case. It's not the examples of the Old Testament. It's not true in church history. In some cases, you could even say, most are not put to death. Even in the age where there is persecution, most are not actually put to death. And yet, everyone must be ready to do it. Everyone must be ready to do it. And if you are not to be put to death, you still must be ready to maintain your faith in the face of the, su- of the sufferings that you do actually endure, of the opposition that you do face, because everyone faces opposition. Every single person will face opposition. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ said, with no exceptions or qualifications, if anyone, if anyone is to come after me, if anyone, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me every single Christian is called to this. Faith sees that, faith picks up that cross, and faith endures to the very ends, to the very end. So you think, brothers and sisters, about the things that we are facing, the the, the normal things that cause people to cave with regard to uh, the, the, the doctrines of the church. You think of issues like abortion, the LGBTQ movement probably being the biggest one, all kinds of critical theory and feminism, all kinds of things where the the world demands that we change. The world demands that we change. The world demands that we compromise. The world tells us that we ourselves are wrong. These, These are at bare minimum the opposition that we are called to endure. We are called to say we will not compromise. We will not compromise on a single one of these things. Not a single one. No matter what happens, we will not bow down to these idols. Remember, as I mentioned several weeks ago, as you are insulted and as all kinds of words and art can be used against you, I mentioned to you that every single one of the worst terms that make you a societal outcast in the world today, every single one of them, according to the definitions that are used, not definitions that are true or have anything to do with reality, but the ones that are used, all of them apply to you. All of them. All of them. We, We, according to the definitions that are given, we, would all, we could all be labeled transphobes and homophobes, Islamophobes, all kinds of things, misogynists, racists, bigots, all of these things, all of these things can be said of you. But brothers and sisters, you are to remember that bigotry, bigotry in today's world is not something to shrink back from, but it's something to say. It is the badge of honor that is worn by those who truly believe in Christ Whereby they are declared to be like Christ, who was hated by the world for testifying about it, that his deeds are evil. We are called to follow in the footsteps of our Savior. We declare to the world its deeds are evil. And as that caused the world to hate Christ, so it will cause the world to hate us as well. And yet, brothers and sisters, you are to endure. You are to endure. And you are to remember, as the Apostle Paul teaches, that when you endure... Even if you are not delivered, that that even your endurance itself is a sure sign of your coming salvation and of the destruction of all those who oppose you. When when you hold fast, it is a sign to the world of the righteous judgments of God. This is the reason why, uh, in what appears to be a contradiction, or at least not makes sense, that it has always been through the blood of the martyrs that the church has actually spread. How could it be that people could be subject to such shameful deaths, to be held up as public spectacles in order to deter people from believing and doing these same things as these people, that that would be the very thing that caused the church to grow? The answer is because what Paul has said is true. This is the sign of the true righteous judgment of God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, hold fast, hold fast to your faith. Remember that the race does not go to the swift, The battle does not go to the strong, but rather the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. They are on those who fear him. May it be that God would grant you the faith to overcome the world that you would never give in and that you, like many others before you, would obtain to a better resurrection. Let's pray. Oh, Father, how would you pray that you would grant us courage and boldness in today's world? Lord, we see even in the face of the sufferings that we must endure, the opposition that we must endure in today's world, that there really is so little courage. There really is so little boldness. There is so much shrinking back. There is so much fear. Lord, we see it all around us, but Lord, we also see it in our own hearts. How we do pray that you would forgive us Help us, O Lord, never to be ashamed of the gospel, to remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, that if we confess you before men, you will confess us before our Father in heaven. And if we deny you, O Christ, before men, you will deny us before our Father, uh, before your Father in heaven. Help us to see this, O God. And may it be that you would grant us the grace to have our hearts calmed before you, to strengthen our faith when it is weak, that we'd be able to see these realities and that we would be willing to endure whatever kind of suffering or opposition that you have in your good pleasure set before us, we would endure faithfully for the sake of the advancement of your kingdom. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit our website at newcovenantopc.com. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. If you've benefited from this ministry and want to know of ways you can help or support it, we'd like to make you aware of our new capital campaign to build a new building. God has recently blessed us with growth here at New Covenant. Over the years, our church has been small. It's gone up and down, but overall things have been tight financially, and the church has been small. Now, by the grace of God, we are growing. We believe it wise in light of this to think about building a new building to facilitate even more growth. Our current building only seats 72 cannot fit any more seats and if we were to fill every single one every Lord's day we would have no more than 72. The plans for our new building would more than double the capacity and enable us to grow to a point where we can be stable financially and even be able to help other churches. One of the things that we want to to be is a church that is able to look beyond itself for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom of God. We believe that this new building can help us get there. And so we are praying that God would provide for us the funds needed to build a new building, that we would grow to fill it and that one day we would even be able to plant a church ourselves. As you know, doing ministry here in the Bay Area, this is a very dark place. Uh, There's a great need for the light of the gospel to shine particularly in this place uh, through the preaching of the word. And so if you want to support us and to, to support our efforts to see this new building built, please consider giving a financial gift to this end. You can give by sending us a check with building fund in the memo line. Our address can be found on our website. You can also give by Zelle by sending the money to nc.opcssf.treasurer at gmail.com with building fund in the memo line. May God bless you with a greater knowledge of his word and zeal for his name.